Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Well, good morning. Things are a little bit different today, if you haven't noticed, as seems to be normal in our day and age. We are adapting to changes and challenges at every turn. These have required an abundant supply of flexibility on everyone's part, and many of our students have gone back to school this week or are getting ready to, get to start back in college, and they have gone back to school in a whole new way. Teachers, parents, students, all have had to figure out what it means to be flexible. Let me explain why those of you in the sanctuary are watching me on a video this morning, and those of you online are only getting the sermon today. Don't worry, this is not a new model that we're testing out for services. This is not something we're trying out. Let me explain. Almost two weeks ago, Reagan was exposed to someone who had tested positive for COVID. This was someone she and her ministry team had been in contact with this summer. Because of this, she had to self-quarantine until her test results came back, which we were hoping would have been by yesterday, but they did not come back. So Reagan has been isolated in our guest bedroom with her own bathroom. She has finished several puzzles. She has binge watched a bunch of shows and she's tried to get ready for a whole new school year. We've been wearing masks around the house and have been keeping our distance from her, but we just didn't want to take a chance, even though it's been almost two weeks and she is completely symptom-free. So, because we can't be with you in person today, we decided to record the message. With the complexity of the various media feeds that would be involved in this, we decided to do things this way this week. So, thank you in advance for your flexibility and keep us in your prayers along with all those whose lives have been affected in some way, shape, or form by this virus. I'd like to start off by praying, um, and as I do so, uh, I'd like to ask the Real Life family to join Christy and I in a very specific kind of prayer. About a week ago, we received an email from Dr. Boone, the president of Trevecca Nazarene University, asking us for help. He started uh, to share about a man who used to live in the Towers, a retirement community on the edge of campus. And every morning, this gentleman would walk out on his uh, deck and he would pray over campus. He had a great vantage point of all of the, of the campus. And he would pray for the students and the teachers, the administration, the activities that were going on. This gentleman passed away a few years ago, leaving a void. And Dr. Boone was asking us and uh, the entire Trevecca region to join him in praying for campus, especially in regards to COVID and protection and health. And, but there's so many other things as well, just the normal activities of students and learning and forming and being shaped. 
So um, we are inviting you to pray with us. We're calling this 1901 prayer. Trevecca was started in 1901 and for 119 years has been equipping young men and women to live their faith in all areas of life. So join us, set an alarm for 1901. For those of you who uh, aren't uh, military folk, that's 7.01 p.m. Every day when the alarm goes off, take a moment to pause in the midst of whatever you are doing and pray for the part of Trevecca that God places on your heart that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this new, fresh day that we have an opportunity to worship you together, to serve you together, to be transformed and shaped as we meet together. Lord, we want to pray for Trevecca Nazarene University as they get back to classes this week. We pray for the students who have moved in and some who are probably still moving in. We pray for the adjustments that they're going to have to go through as uh, there are new schedules to uh, adapt to. We pray for health and safety. We pray that the virus on campus would just not be able to spread for some odd reason. Lord, we, we pray that you would be with teachers as they're learning how to teach behind barriers and with uh, masks, I'm sure, and different technology. God, I just pray that this year would be a year that we see your handiwork all over campus. And Lord, for us here at Real Life, we just pray that you would lead us during this season as well. We ask that you would guide us and direct us and help us be that church that truly is uh, for the neighborhood. Whether that be the neighborhood that's right around the church building or the neighborhoods that we find ourselves in living every day. God, I just pray that you would help us be your hands and feet in this community. Lord, we pray for those who are sick. We pray that you would give them strength and healing. Uh, and Lord, we pray for those who are grieving. Lord, that they would find comfort uh, in you. Lord Jesus, as we think about uh, the sermon that will be given in just a few moments, I pray that you would be with every pastor across Murfreesboro, in Tennessee, in this country, and you would, uh, you would proclaim your good news to the masses. And I pray that uh, this country and this world would find new hope in these days because of the good news of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you that you are constant presence in our life. Lord, help us to watch out for you. In your name, amen. Amen. So let's dig back into Mark chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to jump to verses 28 through 37. So let's get into this. Um, we read, as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings. But they will be completely destroyed. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us when all this will happen. What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Now, let me say a few things about the next 24 verses that I'm going to skip over. Jesus takes these next verses to talk about a, about a bunch of signs that will reveal that the destruction that he has mentioned of the temple in the first four verses are about to take place. That's the context of all of this. 
So in the next 24 verses, Jesus talks about false prophets and messiahs who will come and try to lead the people off in wrong directions. He's going to talk about wars and threats of wars. He's going to talk about nations, warring against nations. He's going to talk about earthquakes and famines and persecution. He's going to talk about family members who turn against other family members. He's going to talk about something happening that will send Judea fleeing to the hills. He's going to talk about the sun turning dark, the moon not reflecting light, stars falling from skies, and the powers in the heavens being shaken. He's going to talk about the Son of Man returning. These are 24 verses that are, are really tough to handle because they, they hint at some pretty tough days for the people of God. I, I'm passing by these passages not because I disagree with them or find them unimportant. I pass over them because I want to get to the last part of this passage, but I just can't gloss over them without any comment. These verses paint a very dismal picture of events leading up to something cataclysmic taking place, the destruction of the temple. This would have been the epitome of life ending for the people of God. Many people will call this end times language, but hear me very clearly. This passage is not about end times. It is about the destruction of the temple. What is about to happen may feel like the end of the world, but that is not what Jesus is talking about. Whatever is referring uh, to is going to happen within the lifetime of the generation that was hearing the words of Jesus in, verses 30, in verse 30. We read this. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. We're, we're not saying that we don't believe in a big type of ending or transition that we know as normal, but as we read scripture carefully, the way things are going to happen are probably going to be really different than some people expect. We just can't use these verses, these 24 verses, to tell us what the end is going to be like. In Revelation 21, we hear some similar language to what we've just heard in, in Mark. Please remember that there are no words to do justice to what we are going to experience, but one storyline is rooted in fear of this world, while the other is rooted in hope for this world. In, Re in Revelation 21, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. We, we hear this in Mark 13, 31 as well. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Folks, there are too many people looking for things to fall apart before we are snatched out of here in a big disappearing act when there is a lot of language about Jerusalem, the symbol of God's holy dwelling coming here to earth this needs to be unpacked further at another time, but for now, let me go back to this cataclysmic event in John chapter 13. I'm not sure any of us know enough to be able to put all our apples in one basket as to what's going to happen in the end and push ourselves away from those who don't agree with us. But let me unpack chapter 13 just a little bit. Mark's gospel is believed to have been written somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D., that's 30 to 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. This means 
that most of the events in Mark's gospel happened before the writing, except for whatever this was that Jesus was alluding to in Mark chapter 13. Most of the gospel is re recorded narrative, while Mark 13 seems to be a prophetic statement about something ahead. In 66 AD, the first Jewish war started and lasted until 70 AD. In the summer of 66, there were six zealous leaders who tried to unite the Jews against the Romans, since apparently Jesus had failed at doing this 30 years previous. At the end of this, in 70 AD, the temple was leveled by the Romans as part of the Roman siege of Jerusalem. We have to remember something about the temple. It was more than just a functional space of worship. It was the central identity of the people of God. It was the place where heaven and earth came together. For many Jews, their faith was decimated when the temple was leveled. They, they were a paralyzed people. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. So Mark either wrote this in the years leading up to the Jewish war or leading up to the siege and ultimate destruction of the temple. And this is the context we need to have in mind as we read the last verses of this passage. Hear these words, verse 28. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that this re his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. So what do we do with Jesus' supposed return before this event? We know the event happened in 70 AD, but we also know that Jesus didn't come back. Jesus still hasn't returned. Listen to verse 31. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. When we hear heaven and earth, we should, what should we be seeing? We should be seeing a temple. We should be seeing the place where heaven and earth come together in a new and fresh way. Remember in Revelation 21, Jerusalem descends because the old heaven and earth had passed away. Let me also say something about the temple and us. Today, the church, the gathering of God's people, is to be that time and place, that reality where heaven and earth come together. And when we come together, the world should see God through us. We are the body of Christ in the world. Who we are is not just for what happens within our walls, we are who we are for the sake of the world, for the sake of the community, for the sake of our neighborhood. This is hope-filled language. Even though heaven and earth, aka the temple, will pass away, Jesus's words will never disappear, it says. This is really good news for a people who are about to be challenged to be a people preoccupied with one thing. Let's read on, verse 32. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Did you hear it? Three times in six verses, stay alert, keep watch, watch for him. Our, preoccupy, our, our preoccupation with anything should be a preoccupation with Jesus and everything Jesus. This is not a passive kind of sitting back on the front porch and waiting until he shows up. This is an active and engaged seeking. This, this kind of waiting is more like the prodigal son's father who was looking for his son to return and saw him from a long distance away and went running for him. It's a, a waiting with purpose. It's a waiting with anticipated action. This is not to be a preoccupation with when he is going to show up. No one knows when that is gonna happen, not even Jesus. Don't get caught up in those things. Don't buy into the industry that has people freaked out that all that is going on right now in our world are the signs that the end is almost here. People have been saying things like this for the past 2,000 years and not one of them has gotten it right. When do we begin realizing that it isn't about the signs of his coming, rather it's about the signs of his presence here and now. That is to be our preoccupation. We should be on the lookout for the times and places where heaven and earth come together in a new way. Jesus talked about how through him, the kingdom of God was at hand. Through Jesus, God has begun the process of making all things new and God is seeking to continue that through the body of Christ in the world today. You and I and the people of God join together on the mission of God. That is what church is all about. It isn't so much about an organization we keep running, but it's about a people that we live life with. And God's church always has room for more people. In the very first verse of Mark, we learn that everything that we were going to read following that verse was going to be about the good news of Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him transforming our todays and our tomorrows with equal measure. If Mark is about the good news of Jesus, what is the good news in chapter 13? In the midst of temples being destroyed, wars, famines, and earthquakes, what is the good news. In the midst of COVID and political cycles and hurricanes and earthquakes and broken bodies and, and unmet expectations, what, what is the good news? The good news, the good news is that amid turmoil of all kinds, Jesus is our constant. Everything may fade away, but Jesus is our constant. And everything he has said Everything he is saying now and everything that he will continue to say makes a difference. We can find him as we look for him. So I have three things to leave you with. Three things. First, don't panic. Second, watch for him. 
And third, Jesus' words will never disappear. No passive sitting around hoping to last until Jesus returns or we die and sets all things right. No, this is the way we are called to live as the people of God. So this is what it means for us to be the people of real life. We, we're not going to be a people who panic. We're going to be smart. We're going to take precautions. We're, but we're not going to panic. Not, not about COVID, not about anything. Our people, the people of God, have lived through some pretty difficult days throughout our history. And they made it through those stronger than ever before. Today is no different. We are a people of hope. Two, at real life, we are going to watch for him. We are going to do that when we gather for worship. We are going to do that when we gather for life groups. We're going to do that when we gather for meals or when we gather for coffee or tea in my case. We are going to watch for him actively. We are going to be looking for signs of God. We're going to be looking for the signs of heaven and earth coming together. And we're going to be a people who center our lives on the words of Jesus, the words that are timeless. This is who we need to be these days. And we can't do it alone. We have to be able to do it together. So church, um, you've been on my heart as I've thought about this message and I've thought about the, the things going on in our world. I know that we need to pray and we need to be a people that no matter what happens, we are reminded that God has the last word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning I am thankful that your word brings us a word of hope. Lord, I know that life is not always easy and things might get actually even tougher than they are today. But Lord, I'm thankful that you have promised a new earth and a new heaven. I'm glad that you have promised to restore all that you have created. I am glad that through Jesus, you have created all things new. So Jesus, I pray that we would hear the voice of God more than the voice of fear and panic and turmoil. Lord, I just pray that you would help us in our own lives recognize your presence there. Lord Jesus, help us to cry out to you when we are alone and when we are, are in need of you. Lord, help us. Help us know what it means to watch for you. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear those moments when you are drawing near to us. Lord, I pray more and more that heaven and earth would come together and that in part that would happen because of us, not because of our intellect, our wisdom, or our might, but simply because we've become conduits of your grace and mercy in our world. So Lord Jesus, we pray that your will would be done in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our hospitals, in our schools. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I want to give you a benediction as we leave. For those of you who are watching and maybe are not familiar with what a benediction is, uh, literally translated, it means good words. 
And uh, at the end of our service, we give these good words uh, to you as kind of a commissioning, a, a way to go out into the mission field, a way to go outside of the walls and be who we have been called to be. So the benediction today, I usually put my hands up. You can put your hands out to receive something. And really, it's not from me. I'm just a conduit. But receive this benediction this morning. And now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. Church, be that people.